Welcome to Audiobook Test Drive. In today's episode, we are featuring an excerpt from Hot Diggity Space Dogs, A Teen's Guide to Being Space Wrecked, written by Icy Snow Blackstone. Sometimes life is completely unfair. Spoiled teenager Jenny Halpin's parents were against her going on a cruise, but her doting uncle didn't see it that way. He thought it a fine graduation gift for his favorite, and only, niece. Unfortunately, before Jenny has a chance to enjoy the voyage, the Cassandra collides with the meteor shower, and her escape pod is separated from the others. Landing on an uninhabited world might not be so bad if Jenny's podmates were human, but they're not. They're poodles, all three of them. And not just your garden-variety poodles, either. They're the telepathic royal family of Canaris, and they're of the opinion that Jenny is now their servant, existing only to protect and serve them. Robinson Crusoe had it easy. And now for your listening pleasure, an excerpt from Hot Diggity Space Dogs. Chapter 1 Aren't they just the cutest little things you've ever seen? Looking over her shoulder in the direction the stewardess indicated, Jenny Halpin allowed her attention to be diverted from breakfast. Across the deck, a tall woman in a blue gown walked three little dogs. A very rich woman, Jenny didn't doubt. Yep, her very bearing reeked of wealth and power. It couldn't have been more obvious if she had a banner trailer behind her, held aloft by two pages in livery. She'd seen the lady and her canines every morning crossing the sun deck, as punctual as could be. You could set your chronograph by their appearance. Jenny didn't know who was more noteworthy, dogs or owner. Personally, she wasn't all that gung-ho about small dogs, the kind her uncle described as yappy rats on leashes. So she hadn't really paid the three much mind. Now, however, since they'd been deliberately brought to her notice, she gave them a more detailed once-over. All were definitely attention riveters, a trio of little canines. Yappy rats, perhaps, but fluffy, well-groomed, well-mannered ones, marching a few feet in front of their mistress, heads held high as they took their morning stroll. The lady herself was well-coiffed and beautifully attired. They certainly are, she agreed, and returned to her breakfast. She was enjoying her meal in spite of the toast being marked on the hollow menu with a bright red asterisk and the statement, if you searched for the corresponding mark and explanation, that it was healthful, wholesome, genuine whole semolina toast made with the halpin process and containing no artificial ingredients. She couldn't get away from her grandfather's invention, Jenny reflected, even if she went into space. A desire to speak to the lady seized her. She tore off one crispy edge. Little dogs always liked bread crust, as she continued her conversation with the stewardess. As cute as... A button! A loud, high-pitched voice finished for her, making her nearly drop her toast. Its owner, in a robe which resembled a circus tent in size and pattern, bent to offer some kind of treat to the first of the little dogs. A dainty golden creature. Does the idododdy like him some quenchy? Apparently, the little dotty did not. It looked from the tidbit to the woman, opened its tiny mouth, and let out a single disdainful yip. Make that yippy rat, Jenny thought, suppressing a smile. 
Head high, it trotted on, leaving the woman bent over, hand outstretched, her face a mottled shade of red. So much for that idea. Jenny dropped the crust onto her plate, thinking ungraciously, better you than me, ma'am. How embarrassing to be snubbed by something weighing only eight pounds. She's very well fed, the woman in the blue gown said. It sounded almost like an apology for her pet's rudeness. Thank you, anyway. Turning away, her gaze met Jenny's briefly, and she smiled before hurrying after her rapidly disappearing pup, who paused, looked back, and gave a single bark as if urging her, come along. Well, with an obvious effort and a few heartfelt and not easily suppressed grunts, Circus Tent Lady straightened, watching them a moment longer. As much insulted feeling as possible was put into the word before she turned to the buffet tables, prepared to console herself with fresh fruit and endless varieties of desserts. As they passed her table, Jenny glanced at the three little animals, wanting to stare, knowing it'd be rude, then doing it anyway. After all, the little golden dog had enough lack of manners for everyone present, even if her owner wasn't so rude. So why not be rude back, even if no one knew? The lady in the blue gown looked at Jenny, nodding as she walked by. Jenny met her gaze with a smile before she once more glanced back at the little animals, almost as if she were drawn to them. All three were small and fuzzy. If they'd been Terran dogs, she would have said they were poodles. Hair neatly groomed, clipped, and poofed, so it looked as if someone had taken a handful of feathers and plopped it atop each little head. They had tiny pom-poms for tails and closely clipped coats as curly as a caracal's. The little rude one's hair, fur, was the bright color of a newly minted coin. She truly looked as regal as her mistress. Around her neck hung a glittering circle of brilliance, more necklace than collar. In the curls between her silky ears, a sparkling clip resembling a tiara gathered a bit of hair into a topknot. Who's that? As the blue gown hurried past, Jenny whispered the question to the little stewardess. She didn't dare raise her voice, for fear the woman might hear. That's the Princess Amber from Canaris. The stewardess watched the retreating figure a moment, continuing to set the rest of Jenny's breakfast before her. Isn't it wonderful how much she cares for those dogs? Walks them herself every morning, though she has two attendants who could do it for her. A real princess. How exciting. Jenny watched the last animal's curly tail disappear around a turn in the corridor, before once again giving her attention wholeheartedly to her breakfast. While not as she'd expected, everything for the last month had been more exciting than her usual life, even if the degree of excitement wasn't as intense for each occurrence. A month ago, she'd been so bored with everything. Practically petrified, in fact. In retrospect, it was to be expected— Redbird, Arizona, was always boring. That was simply a fact of life. But this particular summer, it had been dull, 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 duller than dull, practically dead. Any moment, she expected to see a hearse floating down the street carrying a large wreath with R.I.P. Redbird, spelled out in white carnations. Within a few minutes, however, all that changed. On that momentous occasion, Jenny was in her room, sitting at the beautiful, antique, French provincial desk her dad bought her for her birthday. She was agonizing over the lists of subjects from which she was expected to choose her class courses for the coming year. 
With supreme disinterest, she looked at the titles listed on her e-tab. They were in the message sent directly from the school. Jenny hadn't bothered to open the email until now, or put it into another folder. Why should she, when school was the last thing she wanted to bother with at present? Nevertheless, thinking about it, not only thinking but concentrating with great and desperate effort, was exactly what she was now having to do, because she'd awakened that morning and realized there were only four more weeks until school was back in session, and her choice of courses had to be submitted within two days. Scowling, she looked at the list with more than a little effort. Actually, a lot of effort, with a sousson of desperation and a double dash of panic thrown in. On the e-tab screen, the list of subjects wavered, blurred, then slid into focus. Global Intercommunication 101, Home Nursing and First Aid, Spatial Geometric Design. Everything was too hard, too complicated, or too boring. She didn't want to take any of them. Suppose I just close my eyes and make five checks with my stylus, then open them and take the courses I marked? That'd probably be the easiest way to solve her problem, and the quickest way to fail, too. Truth be told, she was as close to failing now as she could be without actually doing it, but this coming school year might settle her hash once and for all. She could see it now. She'd flunk and not graduate. Wouldn't mums and dad be ashamed of her? In spite of that, she decided to take the coward's way out. It was as good a way as any. Whatever. Jenny was the lowest of the underachievers. Truthfully, she was below the most under of the underachievers. She had no goals and no desire to do better. She simply wanted to get through school and go blissfully on to whatever came next, whatever next was. That having an education might grease the wheels on her journey never occurred to her as did the fact that somewhere along the line, her father's money and influence might not help her succeed or keep her head above water as it was currently doing. Daddy, who was John Halpin III and would one day be heir to most of that money his father had amassed with the Halpin process, but was pretty well off financially in his own right, had contributed quite a bit to Jenny's school to ensure his daughter passed all her grades. Though he didn't insist on high marks, even he had seen that would be asking too much. C-minus was acceptable, just as long as she passed. She had only a vague idea of the course of the next few years anyway. Graduate from high school, enroll in pre-college prep, and toil away for the next four years. Then on to college, and then adulthood, when all would be revealed, and she'd be a grown-up, and no one would tell her what to do, and she could make her own decisions about everything. One hand over her eyes, she waved the marker in the air, then stabbed it downward. It struck something. Jenny took her hand from her eyes and looked. The tip of the stylus rested firmly on the protective cover of her pocket calendar, right in the center of an image of the cutest puppy she'd ever seen. Jenny had selected that cover because of the puppy, a mass of curls with a button nose. In spite of her loudly agreeing with her uncle about small dogs, she wished she had a pup like that one. She laughed as she studied the picture. <laughs> nope, I don't think puppy dog snout is a good field of study. She flipped the stylus back into the holder where the others rested. If only I could be like Mary Beth Nelson and escape from all this for a while. Mary Beth was the most fortunate girl Jenny knew 
as well as being her best friend and bosom buddy for eternity, or BFBBE for short. Daddy laughed when he heard that and said it wasn't much shorter, so why not just say the words? Jenny replied he just didn't understand. She truly thought he didn't. How could he? After all, he was an adult. As for Mary Beth, not only was her father a famous and successful transplant surgeon, but he was the most understanding dad in the world. He never complained about Mary Beth's grades. So what if she, like Jenny, hardly ever studied and slept away class hours or cut them to go with Jenny to the lake or somewhere more scenic? Unlike Jenny, Mary Beth had a talent for cramming for tests and remembering anything and everything she read. Nevertheless, getting ready for school again had put a damper on Mary Beth's late summer days. Seeing his daughter with a bad case of pre-registration slumps, Dr. Nelson had done something about it in the best way a parent could. He sent Mary Beth on a space cruise for the next two weeks. Mary Beth told Jenny that as she packed her genuine kangaroo hide luggage before boarding a shuttle bound for the transport terminal, where her space liner was waiting. As Mary Beth zoomed away to Little Peacock Delta, Jenny watched her leave, a rigidly fixed smile on her lips, calling out forced wishes of, have a good trip and send me a space card. Inwardly, she was eaten with envy. Certain she'd turned an absolutely hideous shade of olive green as she stood there waving. Lucky, lucky Mary Beth, Jenny had sour grapes all the way home. Bet she's not even thinking about what courses she's going to take. Oh, no. Probably as soon as Mary Beth came back from her cruise all fresh and rested and bubbling with envy-inducing anecdotes, she'd merely go down the subject list, tapping a neat row of marks, and send the email sailing on its way through the ether. A sound outside the window made Jenny look up. Glad for any distraction, she dropped the e-tab on the desk, unmindful of any harm to the instrument. Those things were tough. Besides, if it broke, Daddy would get her a new one. Climbing onto the window seat, she propped her elbows on the sill. Throat a quiver, beak open wide, a little gray bird perched on a branch outside the window, singing to the world at large that he was alive and happy. Redbird, a suburb of Greater Phoenix, Garden City of the Southwest, was inhabited year-round by not one but two flocks of birds, as well as assorted small mammals, such as rabbits, squirrels, and chipmunks all of which were stringently protected under the Small Wildlife Act of 2030. Jenny was fascinated by all of them. She watched her feathered visitor with a mixture of delight and envy. Lucky bird, bet he doesn't have to worry about choosing boring old classes or failing them. His main concern was probably nothing more serious than finding a dry hole in a tree when it rained, or a fat worm to eat. How she wished she were sitting on a grassy hill somewhere singing, instead of trying to determine the path her life would take for the next ten months. It's awful to be fifteen. She wondered how old the bird was. Fairly young, she thought. He had little bits of hatchling down still clinging to his breast. You lucky thing, she said aloud. Startled, the bird gave a frightened chirp and fluttered to a higher, safer limb. With a sigh, Jenny returned to the desk, once more picking up the e-tab. Just then, there was the high-pitched squeal of an air car landing in front of the house, followed by the sound of a hatch sliding open. Jenny hurried back to the window. 
Looking down, she saw a tall man unfolding himself from the pilot's seat. It was Stephen Halpin, her father's younger brother. She'd recognize that lanky blue-jeaned frame anywhere. Uncle Steve, hi, she waved frantically. Hey! Dropping the e-tab back on the desk, she ran across the room and out the door. As she galloped down the stairs and through the living room, she called out, Moms, Dad, it's Uncle Steve. Uncle Steve's here. She opened the door, not waiting for a greeting as she threw herself into her uncle's arms. He obviously wasn't expecting that, and the impact of their bodies sent him staggering backward and off the stoop before he regained his balance. His pilot's goggles went flying, striking the car's windshield with a crash. Nothing like an enthusiastic welcome, he laughed, planting a kiss on her forehead. He disentangled himself from her embrace and retrieved the goggles from the car's hood. How's my favorite niece? Or do I have to ask? He inspected the eyepieces. Darn, Jen, you scratch my new foster grants. Sorry. She didn't sound very apologetic, launching into complaints. I'm doing just fine, or I would be, if I didn't have to register for school tomorrow. Still don't like to study, huh? He gave her a sympathetic look as he walked inside, Jenny trailing behind and grinning. He reached back to put his arm across her shoulders and pull her beside him. That's my girl. She and her uncle understood each other. Neither of them ever liked school. Daddy said Steve was an underachiever, managing not to add, like you, Jenny. Steve said his big brother didn't know how to have fun. Big brother countered with, perhaps not, but I'm a success, aren't I? Steve answered. Jenny's mental replaying of that particular scenario acted out every time the brothers got together, ended because mums and dad were now in the room. Steve? Dad held out his hand, and Uncle Steve grasped it tightly. Stephen Halpin was nearly 15 years younger than his older brother, and he never let John forget it. Old man was one of the milder terms he used whenever the two got into an argument, which they seemed to do continuously, though lately their disagreements were more of the teasing, pretend-squabbling variety. Generational, John called their disagreements. As far as Jenny was concerned, Steve was everything John wasn't. Fun, understanding, and definitely young enough to be her older brother instead of her uncle. Perhaps that's why they got along so well, and why he and John didn't. Even if they did bicker, however, the two brothers had outgrown any sibling rivalries long ago, and were now on fairly good terms, except when it came to discussing sports, religion, politics, and Jenny. What in the world are you doing here? Last I heard, you were still at your new hotel at the Red Cliffs in Mongolia. That still rankled John a little, because Steve, as one of the youngest entrepreneurs on the planet, had secured a contract leasing land from the Mongolian government for the coming century. He also hadn't invited any of his family to be present for the ribbon-cutting ceremony, which John considered downright rude, since mums had always wanted to visit Mongolia, because the soil in the Red Cliffs was said to be beneficial to the complexion, and Steve's hotel had a spa utilizing that soil. Steve's excuse, privately shared with Jenny sometime later, was that he didn't think John, who was a bit tight-fisted on occasion, had thought, rightly enough, that a trip to Mongolia simply to attend the opening of another Halpin Hotel would have been one of those occasions. Mums kissed her brother-in-law on the cheek. She'd gotten over her pout caused by the neglected invitation, 
because she'd been sent a special delivery package of two pounds of genuine Red Cliffs topsoil, or, as Steve called it, fancy red dirt, with instructions on how to apply it. In the accompanying letter, he'd apologized for the omission by giving his official excuse. He believed his brother didn't have a passport because he was such an old fuddy-duddy and didn't travel much, so he couldn't have gone to the opening anyway. You should have let me know you were coming. I'd have planned a special dinner, Mom said. Don't worry about it, Marcia. He waved aside her concern. I can't stay long. I'm on my way to Hawaii. Have to check on the branch office there. I'll be gone for the next 14 months, which means I'll miss Jenny's graduation. There won't be any graduation if Jenny doesn't hurry up and decide which courses she's going to take, Dad broke in, giving her an accusing look. This past year has been particularly subnormal grade-wise. Jenny hung her head, but Uncle Steve laughed. Must run in the family. If I remember correctly, when I was 15, all I wanted to study were girls and cars. Guess that's why I'm the black sheep and you became the family genius. Now, Steve, her father began. Since Steve had been 15 only seven years before, he remembered many more things his younger brother did that were worse than being interested in girls and cars. For a moment, he looked as if he feared Steve was going to bring those up too. Everyone knew both men were equally adept in their own fields. Steve was as smart as John, who now ran Halpin Industries since Gramps had retired, and is rich. He simply liked to pretend otherwise, enterprises like the Red Cliffs Inn and Spa notwithstanding. Steve's vocation in life, like his interests as a teenager, tended toward the more entertaining aspects. In spite of their divergent ways of earning their individual fortunes and the 15-year chasm in their ages, Steve and John Halpin were almost identical images of each other. Both were tall, lanky, dark-haired men who, in spite of being handsome, might have been termed geeks in another generation. Though John now had a smattering of gray at the temples, which he attributed to having a teenage daughter and a much younger brother. Steve's hair was longer and darker, and he always wore the latest in fashion, whereas John's wardrobe was what he termed classic, meaning it had been in style 40 years ago, and was in style now, and would still be fashionable 40 years in the future. Nevertheless, since I'm not going to be here when you graduate, and you are going to graduate, Steve gave her a side-eye as he got back to the subject, I decided to stop by on my way to the transport terminal and leave you a pre-graduation gift. Don't worry, he went on as he saw Jenny start to say something. You'll also get a graduation gift when that big day arrives, too. This was met with a chorus of exclamations. Really, you shouldn't, Mums looked disapproving. She can wait. You spoil, Jenny, Dad's reply was token criticism. They both knew Steve doted on his niece and was going to give her whatever gift he chose over parental protest. Dad once said he wished Steve would get married and settle down and have his own kids so he could turn the tables and spoil them with expensive gifts their father would say they didn't need. Steve said he would just as soon as he found a woman who was able to drop everything, pack in ten minutes, and didn't care if she left behind her mobile phone, hairdryer, or her latest e-issue of People magazine. Gosh, Uncle Steve, that's great! Only Jenny's enthusiasm was real. Since I have no idea what a 15-year-old girl would like to have, why couldn't you two have a son so I wouldn't have this problem? He rolled his eyes as he said it no doubt thinking back to the gifts he'd given his own girlfriends when he was that age. I want you to tell me, Jen, and you'll have it. 
he reached into the inner pocket of his jacket. Got any ideas? Anything I want? Jenny didn't answer immediately. She had plenty of ideas. However, the memory of her thoughts while she was poring over the class lists came back. Anything I want, huh? Did I dare? She did. Actually, I have a great idea, but... What? Steve prompted. I'm not sure if... Oh, for goodness sake, out with it. Okay. As if responding to a dare, she blurted, I'd like to go on a space cruise. A space cruise? Steve repeated. He stared at her, as did her mother and father. You mean, up there? He pointed toward the ceiling. Well, you did ask. She nodded, belatedly expecting he was going to say no. And I did say anything, didn't I? There was the briefest flicker of doubt in his expression, as if he knew what was coming. I don't think he meant anything like that, honey, Dad began. Now, Jenny, her mother interrupted, that's not something a child like you should do alone. I can't leave right now to be a chaperone. Besides, it might be dangerous. That's right, Dad said. Believe it or not, I do love you, Jenny, and I don't want you endangered. Or your mother, either. Thanks for including me, Mum said with an ironic grimace. You know what I mean, Dad backpedaled. But Mum's Dad... Jenny injected a whine into her voice. Mary Beth Nelson's on one right now. Her father, he's Dr. Nelson, the surgeon, Uncle Steve. Let her go by herself. Steve looked interested, and Dad, seeing that, took a deep breath, starting to speak as Jenny plunged on. It'd be just what I need right now. I mean, I've been so depressed, I was beginning to worry about my mental state. Steve quirked an eyebrow at that. Really? I wouldn't need a passport because the ships are considered part of Earth territory, like an embassy or something, and it'll be a great educational experience. That's right, throw in the old education angle. That's always good. Mentally, she patted herself on the back for that bit of genius. There'll be plenty of time to register when I get back rested and undepressed. I don't know. Mums was ready to argue, but Steve spoke up. Why not? He got out his hand computer unit, slipping the stylus from the clip on its side. You mean it? Jenny squealed out the words. She couldn't believe it. After all, I wouldn't want to be the one responsible for keeping my niece from maintaining her mental equilibrium. He grimaced comically as he said it. Jenny grinned. Don't happen to know just how much this little jaunt'll cost, do you? The stylus wavered above the little screen. As a matter of fact, I do. She had wormed the information out of Mary Beth before she left. 4,979 credits and 42 half-creds. Oh my goodness, Mums gasped. Stephen, no, Dad protested. But Steve was already tapping the screen, requesting a listing of all space liner companies, with ships leaving within the month for week-long cruises. It's only credits, Johnny. Who else do I have to spend it on right now? Jenny's right. It'll be a great experience for her. Who knows? He gave his brother a gently accusing look. She might even benefit from being away from home for a while. The screen scrolled. The stylus tapped an icon. The scrolling stopped. Steve opened a folder, read rapidly, then shook his head. Nope. 
Jenny frowned. He accessed another icon, read some more, and again shook his head. Nah. Jenny's heart sank. At the third screen, however, he nodded. That's more like it. He flipped down the tiny keyboard and texted in something, thumbs moving rapidly. Jenny held her breath as he nodded again when a message appeared on the screen. Let's see. That's 4,979 and 42 half-creds, Jenny added. And 42 half-creds. He's doing it. He's actually buying me a ticket, she sighed. Got your HCU, Jenny? Right here. She pulled her own little unit from her pocket. Steve aimed his HCU at it and pressed a pad. There was a soft ping. Okay, there's your itinerary and boarding pass. You leave next Wednesday for the Bird of Paradise asteroid tour. Bring me back a souvenir. Jenny looked at the screen of her HCU, then back at her uncle, and gave him the widest grin they'd ever seen. It actually made her face hurt. She hoped her ship passed Mary Beth's on its return trip so she could wave at her. Happy graduation, Jenny. You are now officially the first Halpin in space. Well, not counting Great Uncle Andrew, who was on the Mir space station. I hope you have a good time. Oh, thank you, Uncle Steve. She threw her arms around her uncle's neck, hugging him tightly. He made mock choking sounds. Thank you, thank you, thank you. This is going to be the very best summer ever. Now, hold on. Dad seemed to wake up, protesting belatedly. I haven't said you could go yet. Little brother, don't you think you should ask a parent's permission before you do something like this? I never have before, Steve answered. Why should I start now, big bro? I mean, that's a lot of money. And as Marcia said, she can't go alone. We need to have a serious talk about this. I think I'll get dinner started. Mom's got to her feet. She always beat a hasty retreat whenever her husband started a serious discussion with his younger brother, since the topic was usually that brother's indulgence of a certain niece, and generally ended in a shouting match. You'll stay, won't you, Steve? If the master of the house doesn't kick me out, Steve answered his sister-in-law's question with another eyebrow quirk at John. Jenny's father pretended to glower back at him. I doubt that's going to happen. Jenny won't allow it. She started down the hall to the kitchen, catching Jenny's arm and pulling her daughter along with her. Come help me. But moms! As usual, Jenny began a protest. Anything concerning cooking was beyond her comprehension. She'd actually been known to burn water. Shh! Mums put her finger to her lips, saying in a stage whisper, No arguments if you really want to go on that trip. Let your uncle and your father hash it out. Does this mean you're on my side? Jenny dared ask. It means I'm staying out of it and letting the responsibility be on your father, Mums answered. So Jenny kept quiet and sat on a kitchen stool while Mums made a cell call to the local barbecue takeout and then puttered around pretending to cook. We hope you enjoyed listening to this excerpt from Hot Diggity Space Dogs. If you would like to hear the entire audiobook, it can be purchased at Amazon.com, Audible.com, and iTunes.com.